The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. This is the Business Locker Room Show with Kelly Riggs. In business, you have to play to win. You need an edge. You'll find that edge in the business locker room. Hey, business is like sports, and I want to bring the locker room to the boardroom. Giving you the playbook and the coaching you need to improve your business performance. With compelling interviews, cutting-edge business tactics and ideas, and the X's and O's segment with Miles Austin. I welcome in my good friend, Miles Austin. Welcome to the business locker room. Now... Here is your host, Kelly Riggs. And hello, everyone. Welcome to Biz Locker Radio, presented by the Business Locker Room. Great to have you on board, operating at the intersection of sports and business. This is the online show with compelling conversations and useful content you can use in your business today. You're looking to improve your business performance, whether you own a business sell a product, manage a team, lead a company. This is definitely the show for you. We have experts in sales, marketing, social media, business strategy, of course, leadership, and then much, much more. It is Biz Locker Radio, and you can find us online at bizlockerradio.com. Great to have you on board. I am your host, Kelly Riggs. Thanks for joining me. You can find us, as I mentioned, online, but you can also follow me on Twitter, at Kelly Riggs. And hey, do like I do every week, the the show just gets better and better, and the show this week is no exception. Just fantastic show on board for you today. But download that podcast off of iTunes and listen to it again and again on your daily commute. This is show number 47, I believe. The content in our previous shows have been spectacular. They keep getting better. And uh, I'm excited about what we're going to do today. We're going to talk life without limits, living life without limits. Uh, coming down the road, much more of the same. Great show next week. I'll tell you more about that later. And, of course, as we always do each and every week, uh, at least when he's not feeling uh, the, the effects of the flu, Miles Austin will join us late in the show, and we'll talk in the X's and O's segment about another great online tool that you can use in your business. Miles just keeps filling it up. Great stuff each and every week as we continue to find ways to be more productive and, and do business better and better each week. My guest this week is Yogi Roth. And you may have heard me talk about Yogi a bit when we had Bruce Feldman on about a month ago. Bruce, of course, the author of The QB, The Making of Modern Quarterbacks, fantastic book, highly recommend it. Not only a great read, but just, just a highly informative. If you're a sports fan and you're doing business as well, you're going to learn a little bit about leadership. And Yogi's name comes up over and over in the, in the book as it relates to the uh, Elite 11 competition. And Yogi actually serves uh, as a college football analyst for the Pac-12, but he also is uh, the the host of the Elite 11 quarterback competition, a show, by the way, that's uh, been Emmy-nominated, and Yogi serves as the producer as well. He's an adventurepreneur, a media personality, a college football analyst, best-selling author, got a great book out that he co-authored with Pete Carroll, Seattle Seahawks head coach, entitled Win Forever, as high as number seven on the New York Times bestseller list. 
and he's working on another great project that we're going to talk a little bit about today, Life on a Walk. Yogi, great to have you in the business locker room. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, heck yeah, man. I've heard a lot about you guys. I've been following you, so I'm, I'm excited and uh, really proud that you're bringing me on. Well, it's great to have you. And I, of course, I, I have to confess, did not know your name, did not know who you were until I read Feldman's book. And then now it's, you're seemingly everywhere. You just pop up everywhere. And of course, uh, the biggest piece of that is uh, the book that you co-authored with Pete Carroll. And what I didn't say to people is that you actually served as an assistant coach at USC when Carroll was the head coach there. How, how long were you there, Yogi? I was there for four seasons, and uh, it, was, it was a great experience for me because I just finished playing. Went and spent a year in Australia to play over there because I didn't really hack it in the NFL. And uh, I was trying to figure out my life. You know, if you think back to 22, 23 years old, we all have these huge ideas, but we don't really know how to put them together. So to get with a guy like Pete for four years, football was easy. You know, I got my Ph.D. in college football and, and the game and the X's and O's, but really I got to develop as a young man and to develop an approach and philosophy and the power behind that. And, and that, to me, is the, the greatest gift that being around him, uh, it was. Well, there's some head coaches that come and go and have little impact on the players or the coaches that they work with. Certainly, that's not the case with Carroll. I mean, he's a guy that has a dramatic impact. And in reading the book, one of the things that uh, you talk about, I think, I think it was on your website I read this, where you were talking about it. You, you, your, your first time at practice, it's go, go, go. You're out just going crazy. And he stops you and says, what are you doing? <laughs> How about we work with some purpose here? And that's, like you mentioned, sounds simple, but yet it was pretty profound at the same time, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. I mean, it was our first practice, and here I am, you know, fresh off the boat of being in Pennsylvania forever, and then a little time in, in Australia down under, and made my way to L.A., and I was jacked. You know, when I first got there, I was just going to do uh, player personnel and go to grad school, and about a weekend, he sat me down on his couch and said, hey, what do you think about, you know, being one of our uh, young, uh, you know, graduate assistants? And I was like, sure, I'm in. Let's go do this. And our first practice, um, it was a spring, and the first meet, first one is kind of like an acclimatization period. You know? So you're just doing, like, pursuit drills. just the basics of football, you know? Right. And it's a punt return drill, and the coaches are acting like the cover team. And we're sprinting down, and everybody's yelling, and it's pouring rain. So I'm running, and I'm yelling, and, of course, I fall and slip, and uh, everybody laughs. And, you know, I end up showing, all, showing you on film, and I can get the kick out of it, but... As I was out of practice, my very first time, I was watching guys like Kenny Norton. I was watching the defensive coordinator for the Raiders. Now I was watching Brennan Carroll, who's assistant offensive line coach for the Seahawks. Now he's been with the Hurricanes forever. I was watching, you know, Sark and Lane and all of our assistant coaches just get after it, you know. And I didn't really know anything uh, in terms of what I should do, so I just followed suit. I was yelling and screaming and doing all those things, and probably looked like an idiot out there. And uh, I can remember I come in from practice. And uh, I was soaking wet. And Pete brings me into his office late that night. And he says, hey, uh, what did you think on today? I said, oh, it was awesome. I had a blast. He goes, well, how about running down there on a you know, punt cover? I was like, oh, it was great. He goes, well, I noticed you were kind of yelling and screaming. I said, yeah, of course. He goes, well, why were you doing that? And I said, well, that's what Brennan and Kenny and everybody else are doing. And he goes, Kenny started laughing. He goes, of course. He goes, do me a favor, man. Next couple practices, just watch and listen to what they actually are saying. Because everything we want to do around here wants to make sure that it has a sense of purpose. And uh, for me, it was, a, it was really profound. Um, it influenced me day one as a coach. Um, and I've never forgotten it because so often, I'm on college campuses every week, and you hear coaches at times just yelling well, what I was yelling. Go, 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 go. Well, if you're a student athlete, you're willing to do anything your coach says. 
So you're asking, well, okay, coach, I'll go, but go where? You know, and, and I thought it was so simple, yet really profound, um, and something I clearly never thought of ever in my entire life. Um, but uh, Pete is at the forefront of all of those types of conversations. So, yeah, it influenced me from day one, and, and we've carried that simple uh, story over into Elite 11. You know, I, you know, the staffs I work with at the Pac-12, everywhere I've been, um, it's been like that. And I think as an athlete, you know this, man, you don't want to ever waste movement. You don't want to ever waste time. Um, and language is a big part of that. So uh, it, it hit me from day one how profound what you say to a student athlete is and probably, you know, how profound you speak in the boardroom, et cetera. And uh, he was the guy who influenced that. My guest is Yogi Roth. He is the author of Win Forever, co-authored with the Seattle Seahawks coach Pete Carroll. And he's done many, many other things, as we've mentioned, a Pac-12 analyst and uh, Emmy-nominated filmmaker and many other things, including, by the way, a motivational speaker. And, and you have such a, a background, Yogi. When, when you're out working with college coaches, because I spent time in, in the college football arena, uh, you didn't hack it in the NFL. I didn't hack it in college football, so you're way above me. But it's interesting that uh, you become aware that like like anything in business, they're, they're, just because you're a CEO doesn't mean you're a good one. Just because you're a head coach doesn't mean you're a good one. In, in your experience, what separates the really exceptional head coaches from those who struggle or who, or who do not produce the results that they expect? Uh, I think it's really simple. You know, I do it every Friday. Um, on Friday, as a college football analyst, you get to meet with the staff and a couple players. And I've been doing it for, this will be my seventh season as an analyst. And I ask the same exact question every Friday. You know, when you meet with the head coach, you say, Coach, what's the philosophy of this team? What's your philosophy? And they take me through it with incredible depth. And then I ask the coordinators, what's the philosophy within this program? And then I ask the players, what's the philosophy within this team? And I never expect the assistants, and specifically the student-athletes, to ever give me an answer like the head coach did. But I do expect it to be on the same page. And when it's not, I probably predicted 95% of the games based on that answer um, with with, that, with accuracy um, because I think it's that powerful because when it gets close you know if you have talent if you have a good scheme you're going to win seven eight nine games right it's just a fact I think in college football at least mm-hmm. but the teams that win 10 11 12 13 14 15 the ones that win those close games yes the ball is to bounce their way but more importantly they have to had to you know, what Bill Walsh called it contingency planning you know Pete calls it developing an approach and a philosophy um, but fundamentally you need to be uncommonly consistent within that answer. And if there's any consistencies on Fridays when I get those answers, I know that the teams, um, they're going to struggle. They're going to struggle on third down in the red zone when it's tight. They're going to struggle in a two-minute drill late in the game if they're backed up in their own end zone. They're going to struggle in those instances uh, when they're, you know, quote-unquote pressure-type situations. So uh, to me, that's the first thing I ask. And to me, that's, I think, what separates good programs from great programs because everybody's good enough now to to win some games, especially with the amount of talent student-athletes out there. But to be special, to be different, to be Oregon, to be SC, to be UCLA, you know, to be some of these teams in the Pac-12 um, that I think have dynamic head coaches, um, and I could really go up and down the list specifically in this conference, uh, they all have a way about them, and they don't waver. And you know, to me, the phrase is they, they're uncommonly consistent within their approach, and to me, that's what success is. When you look at the head coaches, the good ones versus the ones who aren't as good as perhaps we'd like them to be as fans, how, how much in, how much detail involvement do head coaches have? Do they do the good ones tend to delegate more and just set clear expectations, or do they tend to really get involved in the day to day, the minute details? What what kind of differences do you see in that arena? Well, it's a, I think it, 
I think it varies, but I think the common answer that every head coach will tell you, and they laugh when you interview them year three or beyond as a head coach, when you ask them, well, what's the biggest difference from your first year? Every one of them I found that I've interviewed has always said, I've learned to loosen the control a little bit. I think when you first become a head coach, just like you first become a CEO, you want to control everything. And you try to, and you run yourself into the ground doing it because you're so proud of your job and the, and the opportunity. And you're so excited because you put in so much time to get there that I think when you get to year three um, and beyond, you realize that you need to know what everybody's doing, but you don't need to micromanage it. And I think every coach has, has said that, that I've ever met who's been a head coach. And, and for me, I love when head coaches get their second opportunity because of the things that they learned so much in that first one. And I'm sure you've seen that with CEOs. Sure. Um, they're just a natural element if you're going to, you know, do things that you're, you know, that, that you're learning from your first time. It's your first time on the job. I think to me, head coaches for the most part usually do their best, whether they've been mentored incredibly like Mark Alfred at Oregon, or they get their second job or their third job. And you look at, um, Pete Carroll, you know, so I think that that's probably, if you look around, um, for young head coaches and they get their second shot, they probably crush it. And for the guys that have been mentored incredibly well, they, they usually probably do well out the gate, kind of like Steve Sarkeesian has, in my opinion. I, I think he's he done he's done incredible. You look at what happened at Washington. He took a team mm-hmm. that won, lost 13 in a row. And people always make the joke about, you know, he didn't turn the corner. And I completely disagree, you know, in his instance, because of how he changed the culture. And I think that most head coaches, when they get that job, they, they have to change that culture. It's usually a bad environment that they walk into, and it takes a little time. But... To answer your question, I think that's the biggest difference, man, is that uh, they loosen up the control after a couple of years. Conversation on Biz Locker Radio today with Yogi Roth. Make sure you follow him on Twitter, at Yogi Roth, R-O-T-H is the last name. Find him online, his website, a great place to be as well, yogiroth.com. You know, so much of what happens in sports, and again, this is a show that's about the intersection of sports and business because they're so analogous, Yogi, and clearly you know that as well. But when, when, you, when you look at, great leaders, first and foremost, you have to have a great leader to have a great organization, but you can't win with subpar talent or subpar management people. You you were a part of Pete Carroll's coaching staff. How good was his coaching staff underneath him? How how good were the people that he put around him? Uh, phenomenal, you know, to be honest. And, and every, every staff would say it, probably for the most part. But, um, you know, looking at it now objectively, um, the proof is in where those guys are in their careers. You know, you look at Lane, and people take cheap shots at him all the time, which is unfair. Guy's been a head coach three different places, you know, and he's going to get another opportunity. It's going to come down the pipe. You know, they just keep doing well at Alabama. Sark, obviously, you look at his son, Brennan. Um, you know, he left being under his father, went to the University of Miami, did incredibly well for four seasons. Now he's he's in the NFL. You look at Jethro Franklin. You know, you look at Kenny Norton, Rocky Se- I mean, on and on and on. I think right. the biggest commonality between all of that is – where I think some coaches differ is that Pete felt that he wanted to bring guys in and raise them. So everybody spoke the same language. So if you look at his staff, he's always fundamentally, for the most part, promoted from within. And when he didn't, didn't always work out. Um, so he'd hire young guys as GAs, really, and then raise them to the ranks. You know, mm-hmm. from Lane and Sark to his son to Kenny to Rocky, all those guys that I mentioned, um, he really raised them as coaches. And he felt that, you know, he wanted to do that because think about it. If you come in to a new environment with a ton of experience, you're going to bring your philosophy. And Pete had such a clear approach. He didn't necessarily want somebody else's to come in. I don't think now would he embrace it? Of course. And he's done that in the national football league. 
But I think in college specifically, in my experience, um, he really enjoyed the fact that he could raise coaches um, and bring guys in that, that really were, you know, really thirsting for the knowledge of not only the football and the X's and O's, but really the, the philosophical side of it. So that, to me, was just really unique and, and powerful. And then when he got to the NFL, I can remember when we spoke and so many guys who've been around the NFL that didn't do that type of, you know, quote-unquote lonely work of developing their style, their vision, their theme, their approach. And I think Pete um, had been a, has been a breath of fresh air probably to a lot of coaches in Seattle to, to really dive into that self-reflection, you know, the self-discovery of, you know, everything that you're doing is really purposeful, so have a reason behind why you do it. And I, I think, to me, he goes, he, he will go down, in my eyes, as one of the greatest coaches but also uh, thought leaders in the last 40, 50 years. And I get, you know, why people take their shots at him here and there, but I think if you really do your work like you have, um, you realize that he has really changed the game in terms of how not only coaches talk, but business leaders talk. And, you know, he's done it on every facet, and they're doing it with Win Forever now. You know, they're in the corporate world now, really influencing a lot of change. His daughter, Jamie, is leading those efforts, and it's just fascinating the type of things that, him, a, guy, a psychologist named Dr. Michael Gervais, and, and Pete and her are really doing. It's, it's fascinating in terms of how they're changing the corporate culture at huge companies. Well, clearly, he's, he's taken that whole idea of doing everything with purpose into the NFL in a very big way. You know, it's interesting in the Super Bowl, Yogi, that you had quite a contrast in styles, and yet two, two coaches with very distinct ideas and, and senses of their purpose when, when you look at Belichick and you look at Carroll. It, it was it was really interesting subplot for, for me as I looked at it, not just from an X's and O standpoint, but even coming down to that final drive, you, you saw two different coaches with very different approaches, although very much entrenched in their own purpose. Wouldn't you agree with that? Oh, yeah. And I, and I think that that's the beauty of it. I can remember... Um, you know, years ago, I, I was doing a bunch of speaking games with Pete. We did the tour, and one of my favorite lines he would say is, um, I don't necessarily care what your philosophy is. I just care that you have one, you know, and I think that's the truth, you know, and you look at Belichick, and I've never worked on his staff, but clearly has a way about him. Every coach does, you know, um, for the most part. I think this day and age, because of Pete, it's become really uh, a topic of discussion and welcomed into the into the meeting room, you know, and every meeting isn't about the X's and O's, but it's about the, the purposeful language that staffs are going to use. You know, I talk to coaches across the country that ask me questions about that all the time, and I ask them how they're implementing their approaches within their staffs and their programs, and it's a huge part of it. You know, it's, it's kind of like uh, if you look at a, a, you know, probably like just a, a circle, you know, look at a pie chart, and back in the day it used to be offense, defense, and personnel. Now it's offense, defense, personnel, off-season training, strength training, but mental training as well. Right, it's right. It's a huge part of it. And I think that's because of, uh, you know, an element of what he's brought to the table. But you're right, man. Everybody, no two philosophies are the same. But that's the beauty of it. No two people are the same. And I think that's the first thing that um, a successful coach or a business leader would tell you, is that you've got to have a way about you that is so authentically you that it's uncommonly consistent because times are going to get tough. And the worst thing you can do is be a rah-rah guy because you're trying to, you know, I'm trying to implement, you know, I'm trying to replicate who you are. And then all of a sudden when we lose a game, I become who I am. And the players and the staff and the, you know, the administrative support are wondering who we truly are as an organization. And I think that's a simple but real fundamental fact. 
Oh, absolutely. If, if everybody's not rowing in the same direction, clearly you're going to have issues. He's Yogi Roth. And Yogi, you play a central character in uh, Bruce Feldman's book, The Quarterback, The Making of Modern Quarterbacks, The QB, The Making of Modern Quarterbacks. After the break, I want to come back and talk a little bit about that. You have a lot to say about Dilfer and about his leadership style. And I want to uh, look at that, explore it just a little bit, because it has an impact on business as well. We'll also come back on the other side of the break, and we'll talk about your upcoming project, Life in a Walk. Stay with us. I'm Kelly Riggs, and this is BizLocker Radio on Voice America. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Kelly Riggs is an author, a highly acclaimed speaker, and a business performance coach for companies and executives across the country. Now in his eighth year as founder and president of VMAX Performance Group, Kelly has written two books, One-on-One Management, What Every Great Manager Knows That You Don't, and Quit Whining and Start Selling, a step-by-step guide to a Hall of Fame career in sales. Both are available on Amazon.com. Is it time to put Kelly to work for you? For more information on training or consulting in sales, leadership development, or strategic planning, visit VMAXPG.com. That's VMAXPG.com. Hi, this is Kelly Riggs, the host of BizLocker Radio. How do you take a company from zero to $100 million in sales revenue in only seven years? Learn how in the brand new book by Mark Roberge, The Sales Acceleration Formula. As the chief revenue officer for HubSpot, Mark Roberge hired, trained, and managed a sales team to create over 12,000 new clients in 70 countries. Now in his brand new book, The Sales Acceleration Formula, he shares the art and science of building predictable sales revenue from the ground up. Learn how this MIT-trained engineer put data and technology at the foundation of his sales methodology to grow from zero to $100 million in sales in only seven years. The Sales Acceleration Formula will teach you how to predictably hire and train salespeople and scale your sales revenue. Pre-order the Sales Acceleration Formula by Mark Roberge at Amazon.com today. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. This is Dan Walshman, and you're listening to the Business Locker Room Show with Kelly Riggs. Yeah, welcome back to Biz Locker Radio. Great to have you on board. The intersection of business and sports. This is the online show with compelling conversations and useful content that you can use. We're talking with Yogi Roth, absolutely spectacular guest as we talk about his book and his work. His book is Win Forever, and he's got a project going on now, Life in a Walk. But I want to talk a little bit, Yogi, about the QB, The Making of Modern Quarterbacks by Bruce Feldman. As I mentioned before the break, you play kind of a central role, a character. I mean, you're mentioned many, many times in the book. And you talk, you say this about Dilfer in the book. You say, quote, he has, is as emotionally connected with these kids as anyone I've ever been around. What role does emotional connection realistically play in leadership? Huge. Uh, you know, it's, it's so huge that now there's the cool term, right? EQ, the emotional intelligence that everybody wants yep. to talk about. Um, mm. And there's a fact to that. You know, look, here's a reality in sports. You're an alpha male. I'm an alpha male. For years, we've been told that it's never okay to be emotional outside of the playing field or the basketball court or the diamond or, or the track or whatever it may be. And that's BS. 
you know, in our eyes, in my eyes, um, and Trent and Elite Eleven is a living example of how emotion is not only connected to sport, but also to your life off the field. And to me, for him, and you know his story, and for those who don't, um, he's a guy who has given his life to this game um, mm-hmm. on so many facets. But he's also an incredible father, an incredible husband, and unfortunately also lost a child. You know, and yes. he lost a son. And to be the head of the Elite 11 and what we're doing with Nike and their grassroots football department is we're trying to change the game, man. You know, we're trying to change the narrative, and we have the support to do it. You know, we have the brand support to do it. We have everything that's necessary to make real influence. And I would argue that we've done it. You know, this is, we've done it for four years together. Elite 11 has been around for 16 years. We just started a couple weeks ago, just in Dallas yesterday for an incredible competition that we call. And Trent's the, the guy who makes it really happen in terms of being our face. And he has such a unique connection with these student athletes that of course is connected to the position of their quarterback and their feet and their eyes and their arm talent and all those unique sides of, of the position. But really he's a guy who um, he's connected to these young men on a deeper level. And if you think about athletes um, before they get to college is to me, the last pure moment of their lives. Um, And we get them at that moment. We get them heading into their senior year, the top kids in the country at the most talked about position in the fastest growing sport and the most popular, at least collegiate sport. Um, in college football. And the proof is that when a student athlete's career ends, right, when Jamarcus Russell's career ends, one of the first calls he made was to the staff at Elite 11. And to me, that speaks volumes because we get them at this area where they get to be influenced. And that's what I think Trent does at such a high level. He teaches them about embracing their burden of influence. Now, the quarterback position is the only one that can get the head coach and the secretary fired. You know, you touch the ball every snap. You literally can do it. And you need to accept and embrace that and know how to deal with it versus let it build and build and build. And then all of a sudden you explode and you can't handle it, which we've seen in, in a variety of instances. So to me, Trent is uh, he's, he's another one. Like Pete, he, he's a crazy thought leader. And, and for Bruce, the book that he did, to be able to capture all of that, um, no one has ever done it. You know, and it's the greatest position in sport that everybody talks about. And we say it factor, and we say all these phrases that nobody defines. Well, I think in the book, Bruce, uh, with the help of Trent and all the other people, just he just did a masterful job of, of putting it all together in, in one book that, that you clearly read and, and enjoyed. And, and I've heard from people across the country, around the world, that really have dug, his, have dug what he wrote. Yeah, it was a fantastic book. You know, it's interesting. The analogy in business is you have a lot of people who are great at an individual position. I mean, let's talk about salespeople as an example. They're the quarterbacks oftentimes of of an organization, and the big hitters are out doing big numbers, and they're making a lot of money. Then suddenly we put them into a leadership role, what we would call a sales management role, and many times they do quite terrible there. To me, it's very much like the quarterback. You talk about Dilfer in the book very specifically. You make three observations about him. You talk about his self-discovery and you talk about his awareness and then you talk about him raising the bar, raising the standard for the camp at Elite 11. And and those are very non-technical types of things, Yogi, that really make the difference between a great leader and just a technician turn leader who doesn't do very well. How, how, does, how does a leader find the capacity for self-discovery and awareness and raising the standard? I mean, what would you do as an outside influence on a young leader to help him find those things? Well, you ask them questions, you know, and they're, they're simple questions of, you know, what do you want the vision of this thing to be? You know, you know, what, what do you want the style in which we operate to be? You know, what's the theme in which we're going to 
show up every day with going to be? You know, what's your overall philosophy, and can you say it in 25 words or less? And, um, really, our staff, we consider ourselves a win-forever staff, for sure. You know, we abide by all of the principles that Pete has talked about in his book and beyond. Um, and Trent was one of those first guys. You know, you got to remember, his career, and people forget about this about him, but he's a no-name recruit, goes to Fresno State, and leaves as a top-five draft pick after his junior year. You know, goes to Tampa Bay, where he's supposed to be the dude, and he gets a stinger taken away from his staff. They took away one of his greatest gifts, which was letting it rip and going for it. And it right. took a long time in his career to get it back. And he battled and had injuries and won a Super Bowl and all those things. He played 14 years at the highest level of competition. And people make the joke all the time about how he wasn't a, a talented quarterback. Well, he lasted 14 years in the most competitive environment in the world, in my eyes, in terms of at least athletic performance at the position that is hard to do. And he did it at the highest of levels. So mm-hmm. okay, you have that. And then let's go to the next phase where he still doesn't think he maximized his potential as a player. So he said he's going to be the best in the world at analyzing the quarterback position and also mentoring the quarterback position. We, we talk about it. We're not quarterback uh, gurus. We're quarterback builders. We're quarterback mentors. And that's language directly from Trent. So to me, Trent has really embraced the lonely work, You know, doing the boring thing longer, showcasing the grit necessary, to be in a leadership position. And to do that, you've got to have some answers, man. You know, you can't yeah. just say our velocity is based on competition. You better have a, a drop-down list. And he has that. You know, he's put that work in. And I've been by him the whole time. You know, so we have a, a, a cool relationship in that regard of kind of a yin and a yang to a degree. You know, I'm one of two guys on our staff, three guys on our staff, that never played the quarterback position. You know, and I think that we offer a cool balance um, at the top of Elite 11 in terms of, you know, the vision of it and how we want the language to be and the purpose of it that um, is is a good recipe for success. And to have Trent guiding that conversation because he's done the work is massive. It, it, it doesn't work the other way. It doesn't work if you show up and you're just a celebrity and you're a former NFL quarterback. That right. isn't good enough. You know, that's right. what we think the sandbox is. That's what we would call it. A lot of people are doing that, and that's fine. But with where we're trying to take this and where we're trying to change grassroots sports. We're trying to change that when a quarterback gets in the locker room and he hears people talking about a, a woman and the things they've done and over the weekend, they walk up and say, hey, dude, we don't do that. We don't talk like that. That's the type of things that I'm talking about, man. The quarterback position, we're going to coach it extremely well. And everybody has their way, and there's a lot of guys. But we're trying to take it much further than just under center or from the shotgun. But to do that, you better have done the work. And Trent clearly has done that, and that's why um, we're in the position we are right now. Sure. He's clearly the leader of the Elite 11 uh, quarterback competition. But as, as one of two guys, and, and I know there's some other people on the periphery as well, how much does he rely on your counterpoint, Yogi? Does, does he have introspective times where he's asking you your opinion and the way you see it and those kinds of things? Does, do you serve in that capacity as well? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And you have to, you know. Um, the thing I learned about when I was on Pete's staff, I was the youngest, most inexperienced guy, and he would ask me my opinion all the time. And I don't know if he if he listened to it, but it felt like he did, you know. Right. And right. Trent does that with uh, you know our youngest assistant, and he does it with me, you know, one of his trust most trusted guys, you know. So yeah, we have to, you know, you, we call it a guided missile, right? Like you have to have your guided missiles, you know, your people that can check you, and we can talk about why do we do this? From why are we doing this drill? We're not creating enough chaos, enough pressure, we're not turning it up enough on the, on the quarterback, to, all right, big picture, what are we doing here with the vision? Are we holding ourselves accountable to that? So 
I think that's a, that's the beauty of uh, the relationship we have because he does it for me, and, and we do it for each other in a lot of levels within our careers. You know, if you think about it, what I love about Elite Eleven from an analyst standpoint is that Trent is the Elite Eleven guy representing the NFL. You know, I feel like I'm the Elite Eleven guy representing college football. So, um, and we're both you know analysts. You know, obviously mm-hmm. throughout the season, trying to do our best job in that regard in those two respective levels of the game. So. Um, I, I think we are, um, you know, we work extremely well. It's it's a dynamic relationship, and I consider him one of my closest friends. I want to talk a little bit about life uh, on a walk, but before we do that, I, I want to mention one last thing from Feldman's book, and a very interesting observation that is made there that uh, you change, and you talked about the importance of words and language, but it, it's interesting that you have made the change from the top 11 quarterbacks to the top 11 competitors and clearly you can be a a very highly skilled player and not really have that part of your personality that competes that is a competitor even though you're you're very skilled at what you do I find that to be quite true in the business world as well in fact in the business world it's getting harder and harder to find competitors it's it's more like we're finding functionaries is that something you're experiencing in in football is it is it getting harder to find true competitors no not at all I think it's getting harder to find uh, it's almost impossible to find young student athletes who know what competing even means. And wow. it's not their fault. Um, same thing in the business world. I think the millennials, I talk to a lot of them, I talk on campuses every Friday in the season. Um, they want to be really purposeful, you know, from the business mm-hmm. side. I think if I was having a company hiring people, I'd want to make sure that the position I put them in wasn't just to check a box, but it was something where they really had passion. Because we're finding now that millennials don't want to do anything unless they're passionate about it. Everybody wants to change the world. Um, so you got to put them in a position where they think they have a little glimmer of hope that they're changing the world, even if it's making copies. You know, you have to give them that little nugget where they feel as though it's worth it to do it, or they're not going to do it. So that's my first thing. And then regarding the athletes, you know, right now, if the listeners looked up on their iPhone, the word compete, it would say to strive against one another. But if you look at the Latin root of the word, it means to strive together. So somewhere over the last X amount of years, it's changed from, you know, okay, we're going to have this conversation and we're going to compete to make it the best radio show in the history of America. Two, I need to one-up you with my comment and then you need to one-up me with your response. That's what comp- competing is defined as now. So it's our job. We think at Elite 11, that's what we call it a competition instead of just a camp or a competition. You know, mm-hmm. It's where you learn how to compete. And it's our job and your job and CEOs' jobs and coaches' jobs to teach student-athletes or employees what competing even means. So I would challenge that if there's not a lot of competitors out there. I'd say there's a lot of, not a lot of people that know what that word even means. Because wow. we look at it and we think that maybe it's in a UFC fight and you're beating the brains out of somebody. Or we look at it and say, no, I need to get more sales numbers than the next guy so I can screw him over and go behind his back. That ain't right. And right. I think that there's some places that really understand what competing truly is. And you know, it, I think that's just a fundamental fact, man, based on my experiences. No, you know, that's such a good point because I don't I don't think about it like that, but it is amazing how oftentimes people will look at the word competition or competing as some sort of negative, as if you've got to get over on somebody before you're actually competing. I think it's an outstanding point. You have spent the last couple of years living out some of your adventure dreams. In fact, in your bio, you're called an adventurepreneur, and a part of that has been to I experienced El Camino de Santiago in Portugal and Spain, and you, you're creating a documentary called Life in a Walk. Tell us more about that and what led you to that particular adventure. 
Oh, well, thanks for asking. Um, yeah, I've been lucky, man. You know, over the last decade of my life, I've traveled all over the globe um, for work, for pleasure, um, and I've fallen in love with exploring other countries and other cultures, and that's why I left coaching. You know, I didn't think there was enough time for me to do those things that I wanted to do. And throughout, I'd always, you know, been into storytelling. You know, when I was at USC, we created a website called uscrixit.com, and it was the first college sports blog that ever gave access. So I was learning about storytelling, about if you give people a little access, they might fall in love with it, you know, at, at the sports level. So when I left, I was like, man, I still want to keep telling stories. How am I going to do this? And I started doing it as an analyst. Obviously, you're telling a story for three and a half hours in a game. I started doing documentaries. I did a documentary called Three for the Show on ESPN, following Jake Locker, Cam Newton, and Tyrod Taylor. They got ready for the draft as a producer. And I started like, kind of just getting my sea legs in the film world. And as the years went on, I kept producing sports docs because I knew access. I knew how to talk to athletes and coaches, and I was learning how to really shape story. And then I wrote Pete's book. I wrote my own book, and uh, I kept going. And last no, two years ago, I said, "Man, I need to I need to get uncomfortable. You know, I need to get out of my comfort zone as a storyteller. Right, what story could I tell?" And obviously, as a traveler, I've always thought that I wanted to do things around the travel community. And uh, fundamentally, I said, "All right, I know where my next trip's going to be." All right, and my trip was going to be to walk the Camino de Santiago, which is one of the most famous pilgrims in the world. But I didn't want to do it alone. You know, usually I travel alone and I enjoy traveling alone and meeting people along the way. Uh, but I wanted to explore with somebody. And years earlier, my father um, had been diagnosed with prostate cancer and he beat it and he's doing great. And I, uh, I never really dealt with the emotions of that. And I think as, a, as an alpha male, as we talked about earlier, I never thought it's okay to have emotions, let alone deal with them. And I was that same way. And even worse, as I was going in my career as an entertainer, in this world of Los Angeles, um, my parents would call and it would take me a couple of days to call them back. You know, they're on the East Coast, I'd get late, I just wouldn't do it, I wouldn't do it, I wouldn't do it. And I was missing out on some real simple joys in life, like our parents, like our loved ones. And it hit me between the eyes and I said, wow, I gotta, I gotta go for the walk, this walk with my dad. So I flew home and I said, hey, let's go for a walk. And he said, sure, where do you wanna go? And I, I put a flight, a plane ticket on the table and I said, if you wanna meet me, we're going to Madrid in two weeks. And uh, we're going to go walk to Camino de Santiago. And he started laughing. He said, sure, let's go. And we had traveled before together. We did a month in India a couple years earlier. So we knew it would be easy to do it. And I also wanted to film it. And I partnered with a production company out of New York called Plenty, who I had done a pilot with. And uh, they sent over two young uh, cinematographers. And it was me and my dad. And away we went for a few weeks. And we walked through mountains and hills and along the beaches and through the rain and wind. And it was just magic. And every day I decided I was going to go through a different decade of his life. Cause I literally, man, didn't know the answers of where he was born. I didn't know how he met my mom. I didn't know what it was like when he changed jobs and he got fired when, you know, he went through good times and bad times. You know, I didn't ever ask him about love. I didn't ask him about, you know, desires. I didn't ask him about going for it. And he's my dad, right? He's the guy who teaches us all those things. Um, and if you're fortunate enough to have that parent, or even if you're not, um, I think we all understand that there's, there's a void there in terms of knowledge. And I never wanted to say, I wish I spent more time with my dad. I didn't ever want to say, I wish I asked him this, or I wish I asked him that. So I went and did it. And uh, to have it on film was magical. And I came back and spent the next probably six months just watching it. You know, late at night, I'd watch it, I'd cry, I'd laugh, I'd be into it. And then started writing about it, started writing a film. And I said, I'm going to go direct this. I've never directed anything in my life. Um, let's go direct a feature, fe feature film. And at first it was going to be just a, 
like a love note to my dad almost to our family to future my future kids someday. And as I talk to you know guys like you or my peers or Bruce or Trent or Pete, and I thought oh, this is kind of cool, man. Like this this resonates with me. I'm gonna go call my dad or I'm gonna call my children. And uh, I said, well, I have something here. Let's 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 make it a little bit bigger. And let's see if we can create a campaign and see if we can create some social change. So we created a campaign with Indiegogo and it went nuts. You know, within the first two days, it was picked up by USA Today. You know, by the end of the month, it was a feature in Men's Health. Well, one point some million people read it and we just took off. And I think it's because it's so simple. You know, it's about the simple idea of spending time with the people you care about before it's too late and asking the questions you want to ask. And, uh, and I have no problem, you know, and I would admit, man, Kelly, I was not an emotional guy and off the, the, the court or the field throughout the majority of my life. You know, I was that classic alpha male, and this has changed me. And I said, you know what, I'm going to share my story. I got no problem opening up my heart if it's going to you know, get you to call your father or your children or your mom or your daughter or whatever it may be, and it's done that. You know, we've heard from people in countless countries across the globe, and now I'm literally talking to you as I'm sending out all the perks to all the people who backed us later today all their swag, sunglasses, journals, T-shirts, all that cool stuff we got for them. And the film's a reality. You know, we finished it a week ago. Um, now we're just making it look great with coloring it and the sound mix and all those things that you do to finish a film. And we'll start screening it in, uh, in May. And uh, I can't wait. I can't wait to share this with the world, man. I'm just jacked about it. And it's going to come out as a uh, documentary film soon, uh, Yogi. It's pretty spectacular stuff, i got to tell you. Uh, I it just as I sit here and listen, it kind of washes over. It's such a great story. When, when is it going to When is it going to be out? When can we watch it? You know, I'm not sure when we're going to uh, premiere it. Um, you know, the way the film, cinema world works is you kind of take it out. We'll take it to a few festivals. So, uh, want to relaunch a new website, lifeinawalk.com, uh, next week. You'll be able to check out. I'll have all the info on it. But we're kind of going to play it by ear, and this is kind of the adventure now of of the adventurepreneur in me, I guess, of filmmaking. You know, we've had some people put some offers in on the film, and now we get to kind of play that world out, and it's new for me. So I'm not really sure. Uh, to me, what I hope we do is that on Father's Day, uh, we, we get a lot of people across the country, whether that's the official release or not, but give you the opportunity to watch it, to download it, to be around it, um, and hopefully live your own walk. You know, and to me, I always get asked, well, yo, I, I can't go for a walk with my dad in Portugal and Spain. And I, I said, that's fine. You know, that's going to go around the corner. The point is, what our film will do, and it'll do it for you, it's an emotional film. We created every film to make the viewer feel uncomfortable. And we created every frame in the, in the film to make it so we take place the awkward conversation of, hey, dad, do you want to talk? Or, hey, mom, do you want to talk? Or, hey, partner, do you want to talk? When you watch yeah. it, you're just going to talk. You're going to talk about those things. You're going to talk about your life and your experiences and the advice and the wisdom and the mistakes. You're going to have to do that. Um, and, and that's why I can't wait for people to watch it because I think we take place of that oh, do I want to ask them if they want to go for a walk? Do I want to ask them if we should go talk? Like, I don't know, just sit down and watch it, and I promise you, man, you're going to have an incredible conversation afterwards. Yeah, it's, it's going to be fantastic. Man, I, it, I, it just kind of washes over you. What a great story, and, and I'm so glad that you were sharing it with us. We'll do everything we can, obviously, to help promote it as well, but I know it's going to be big time. Yogi Roth has been our guest. You'll find him at yogiroth.com. Yogi, can't thank you enough. Thanks for joining us on BizLocker Radio. Thank you. Great to have you. Hey, we're going to take our final time out. We're going to come back on the other side, and we'll be joined by my good friend, Miles Austin, and we're going to talk about a great new productivity tool. It's called Eventbrite. You might have a little bit of knowledge of it, but it'll do far more than you think it will do. Stay with us. This is BizLocker Radio. I'm Kelly Riggs here on Voice America. 
the business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. Kelly Riggs is an author, a highly acclaimed speaker, and a business performance coach for companies and executives across the country. Now in his eighth year as founder and president of VMAX Performance Group, Kelly has written two books, One-on-One Management, What Every Great Manager Knows That You Don't, and Quit Whining and Start Selling, a step-by-step guide to a Hall of Fame career in sales. Both are available on Amazon.com. Is it time to put Kelly to work for you? For more information on training or consulting in sales, leadership development, or strategic planning, visit VMAXPG.com. That's VMAXPG.com. Hi, this is Kelly Riggs, the host of BizLocker Radio. How do you take a company from zero to $100 million in sales revenue in only seven years? Learn how in the brand new book by Mark Roberge, The Sales Acceleration Formula. As the chief revenue officer for HubSpot, Mark Roberge hired, trained, and managed a sales team to create over 12,000 new clients in 70 countries. Now in his brand new book, The Sales Acceleration Formula, he shares the art and science of building predictable sales revenue from the ground up. Learn how this MIT-trained engineer put data and technology at the foundation of his sales methodology to grow from zero to $100 million in sales in only seven years. The Sales Acceleration Formula will teach you how to predictably hire and train salespeople and scale your sales revenue. Pre-order the Sales Acceleration Formula by Mark Roberge at Amazon.com today. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Hi, this is Jeff Shore, author of Be Bold and Win the Sale. More great business ideas straight ahead in the business locker room. Yeah, welcome back to Biz Locker Radio. Coming off a fantastic segment with Yogi Roth, and uh, we transition into the X's and O's segment with Miles Austin. And as always, you know, here's what's interesting. Our sponsor is 4D Sales. And if you haven't checked out 4dsales.com, I I begin to wonder what is happening in your world. If you're in sales, take a moment and make sure you either write this down or go there now. Look at 4D Sales, the number 4D sales.com. This tool is so inexpensive and it is so powerful for salespeople. It gives you the ability to really take your game to the next level. You talk about competition. Boy, I mean, you're going to look head and shoulders different than the people that you're competing with and against out there in the sales arena. It is a tablet-based sales tool that enables you to have every piece of information that you need. And I mean everything websites and audio clips and uh, video and, and PDFs and on and on and on and on it goes. You've got all of those things available. One click to email it to your prospect. You can set it up and show it in a number of different ways and everything is visual. And you know everything. If you've been listening to this show very long, everything is going video and this is the tool that will do it for you. Folks, do yourselves a favor. It's 30 bucks a month, 4dsales.com. It's worth a look. Trust me, it is going to make a difference in your sales life. Just ask my friend, Miles Austin. Miles, how are you, my friend? I'm doing great, Kelly. Glad to be here, and uh, you said it very well. I mean, it's there are still people in leadership that aren't understanding the significance of getting a tool 
like 40 sales. You're holding and limiting the possibilities of your sales team. You're tying one arm, maybe both arms behind their back. Well, you want to be paying attention out there, folks, because there's a very good possibility that uh, Mr. Austin and I uh, we'll be doing a webinar down the road to tell you more about it and some other critical tools that every salesperson needs to have. But let's change and move our attention over to Eventbrite. I'm familiar with Eventbrite because on occasion I get requests to be a part of an event, you know, to join an event to Miles, and it comes in an email and it's hosted by Eventbrite. But uh, it does much more than that. So kind of give us uh, the big picture outlook of Eventbrite. Absolutely, Kelly. Eventbrite, I look at it very simply as my division, my department, if you will, to handle all of my event promotion. What Eventbrite does, it acts as your payment collector, it acts as your promotion vehicle, it acts as your communication device, it acts as your ability to promote events online, live, private, public, doesn't matter. Everything you need to run an event is done and available to you through Eventbrite. E-V-E-N-T-B-R-I-T-E dot com. It's got an enormous amount of flexibility to it, Miles. You can you can host an event. You can use it to collect tickets. You can, as you were talking to me in the break, you can even they've got apps now for the iPhone or the iPad, and you can print tickets on site right there. You can be taking registration at a live event. I mean, there, there's a lot of flexibility to this very simple tool. Well, it is. I mean, there's there's events with ten thousand people in attendance, and they all the registration is going through the Eventbrite tools. So. I mean, as an example, you mentioned the ability to, to collect. Uh, if you've done, if you, maybe your company is a technology company or you're, you do uh, customer entertainment events and you need to kind of manage, maybe you want to use uh, a registration list and you want to print a name tag with certain layout and, you know, you want a big first name and a small last name and maybe the company name and print that information out. You can either do it by hand and look really like an amateur or use a tool like Eventbrite and when it's time for the event, either live or in advance, you can go in and using their selection of tools, print out beautiful adhesive or stickers or even pin-on name tags that match, that have your company logo, have all the information as appropriate, etc. So there's a lot there. And then like you said, the thing that I've really enjoyed over the last year is I can have maybe, you know, a lot of times we'll have two or three doors or entrances into a live event. You can literally offer now tickets at the door. And in the past, it was kind of a challenge to how you get paid for it. You have to have people write checks because we weren't always able to take credit cards live in a local event, etc. And now, from the simplicity of an iPhone, you can literally check the registered, uh, registered guests in. You can create a new registration live at the event. You can swipe their card. They actually have a little card reader that goes right on the uh, iPhone or iPad device. Um, or, or, you know, uh, um, other devices as well. So it, it's extremely flexible, and it, there's so many of the things it does. But, you know, it does reporting. It does follow-ups. It does, hey, you know, we're looking forward to the event coming up, etc. What's really interesting, and I think one of the things that a lot of people just don't understand the ability to do is, Kelly, if you're doing an event maybe out in Seattle and you're going to be out here and, wouldn't it be great to have other people that you're associated with in Seattle be able to help you promote and sell tickets to that event? Um, it happens all the time. Uh, and let's say that you have a, a seminar that you're doing for business leaders and it's $200 a piece. 
well, it'd be really great because I live in Seattle. I'd love to help you promote it. And because you're just a kind, giving guy, you're going to say, Miles, look, I'd like to split that with you <laughs> and give you some percentage of that price back to me as a commission or a referral fee. With an Eventbrite, that's all automatic. And so the ability to sell products, excuse me, sell seminars and, and uh, events with affiliates, you could have one or a thousand affiliates all selling with individual tracking codes. They can go get and look at their own sales. They don't even have to go through you to do it. So it's really a powerful thing. The big thing with Eventbrite is it has multiple avenues of capability. And most people use it as a way to create a registration link to promote your event or to collect, okay, you know, Kelly is coming and Miles is coming. Well, that's great. In addition, the last thing I want to mention about it is that they also are a massive network of events. And so around the world, and really, you know, for most of us anyway, in the U.S., it knows when you log in, it looks at your IP address and says, okay, you're in the Seattle area for me. And it shows all the events that are being promoted through Eventbrite if you've marked it as public. It shows those, and you can actually get the general public, like a social network, to find out, discover, learn about, and maybe register to attend your event, whether it's free or for a fee. Well, there are a lot of companies out there, Miles, that are, you know, they may not be doing paid events, but they're doing, as you mentioned, customer-oriented events, and it enables you to have multiple invitations go out. You know, the worst thing in the world is to send something out, ask for an RSVP, and not have a clue. But this provides you the opportunity to remail, resend, and continue to remind people because many times people, you know, it's three weeks out or six weeks out and they don't really feel like it's that important right now. I, I just like it because it brings a lot of system organization methodology to the whole process of putting together an event. So whether you're paying or not, it's really great. Plus, as you mentioned, you, you get the reports that's tell, that tells you in detail who's coming, when they responded, all those kinds of things. That's, that's, that's really good information to have. Well, it is. And it's, you know, we're all about image and branding. And, and believe me, the, these name tags that you can print are beautiful. The checklist that you put at your greeters at the door as they check the guests in, even if you've done name tags in some other way, but they actually go through and you can even scan. They can actually use the, the viewer can actually come in, walk up. If they have the Eventbrite app on their phone, they, it generates a QR code. You hold it up, it scans, boom, they're right in. You know that Bob was there. You know what time he checked in, etc. It's just a really professional, powerful tool to use for anything with event promotion, billing, collection, communication, um, and the after effects of that as well. Now, just another great tool from Miles Austin. You'll find him at fillthefunnel.com. Follow him at Twitter, at Miles Austin. If you're listening to this show for the first time, one of the first places you want to go, get on board with Miles. He's got much more of this kind of information at his website, fillthefunnel.com. A couple of weeks ago, Miles, we did unroll.me, unroll me, and uh, I'm a fan. I'm using it. It's great stuff. It's really simplified my inbox. Folks, you want to go back two weeks, listen to the show, learn more about www.unrollme.com. Hey, or uh, unroll.me, rather. Hey, great to have you on board, Miles. Thanks so much. You betcha, buddy. All right, great, great show. Fantastic show. Many thanks to Mr. Yogi Roth for joining us and to Miles Austin for bringing us yet another tool, another one that I'm going to have to go get familiar with and use as well as uh, we wrap up our show. Thanks to my uh, engineer on the other side of the glass. He's Michael Sergit. To our executive producer, Brandy Jackson. Great show coming next week, by the way. You're going to want to be there. Stacy Hunky 
H-A-N-K-E. Really excited to have her. And the week after that, Suzanne Bates, back-to-back weeks, female guest, and they've got super content coming for you. You're going to want to join us and be a part. Thanks for being a part of Biz Locker Radio. Find us at bizlockerradio.com. And by the way, leave a rating and review for us on on the iTunes store. Love to have it. And we'll send you a free book. Tell you more about that next week. I'm Kelly Riggs. We'll see you next time on Voice America. Thanks for joining the Business Locker Room with your host, Kelly Riggs. Kelly will be back again next week for more business building content and conversation for your playbook. Tune in Mondays at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel for another edition of the Business Locker Room. Remember, business is a competition. Play to win. Play to win.